Awesome. All right, well, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing? Doing good? Very good up here. That's good to hear. Let's put that there. Um, I don't know about up-and-coming pastor, but here I am. My name is Joel, and I'm on staff here, and it's um, great to be able to share God's Word with you all this morning. Um, back around 10 years ago, probably more than that, actually, I was at um Hillsong Conference. I was in the high school section, and um, we got given... A, um, a little bookmark, and it was the Devotion Revival, and that was sort of the theme for the, for the week. And on the back is a quote that I've sort of kept with me for a while, and it's, I just find it extremely relevant, and it says this, um, I see an enthusiastic, passionate group of people in revival with the potential to change the world, but I also see a group of people who are publicly passionate, but privately do not have the required devotion. He was saying that to a group of young people, and it was targeted at young people. I think it's relevant to all. That he sees a group of people who are publicly passionate, but privately do not have the required devotion. You know, and I, I'm, I'm, I think it's been pretty relevant for me over my life, and maybe in so in yours as well. That, you know, eventually what happens in private becomes public. You know, what happens behind closed doors, the person that you are when no one else sees, eventually becomes the person you are that everyone sees. Over time, what happens privately becomes public. You know, we have a massive lie in our culture that says who you are when no one sees. Like, if no one sees it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt anyone. You know, if no one sees, if no one knows... It's A-OK. You be you. You do what you want. If no one sees it, it's all good. That's what our culture sort of says to us. So if you want to sit and watch five hours of Netflix, that's fine. You know, if you want to do whatever you want when no one sees you, like, not a problem. If no one sees, no one gets hurt. But I really believe the opposite is true, that actually who we are in private becomes public and fuels actually our life. And it's actually not just like a faith thing, but it's all like a life thing, Yeah. Like, I remember grade five, six, and seven, I learned, started learning my first musical instrument, all right? Started learning the saxophone. I was nowhere, as good, nowhere near as good as Jacob. Um, I was just, like, I had lessons, I was in the school band, and I kind of liked the performance side. Like, I kind of liked being in the band, started playing in church a few years later, and I, that was cool. Practicing, on the other hand... Like, my parents are laughing because they wasted a few years on music lessons. <laughs> but I did not practice at all. It was pretty bad. Um, you know, my, I would go to my lesson and my teacher would say, have you practiced? I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, I practiced. And we would sort of go, we would recap what we did last week and I'd play through it. And it would be a little bit better than I did last week. She's like, oh, that's good, that's good. Um, as the years went on and we started getting a bit more advanced, all of a sudden... Like, she's like, you didn't practice, did you? I'm like, nah. <laughs> you know, I, I had to be honest, and I quickly, you know, confessed up to mum and dad, and we uh, stopped those lessons pretty quick. But the idea is this, is that so often we, we like the performance, but we don't like the practice. And I think spiritually, we need to practice what we want to perform. 
We need to practice privately before we display publicly. And that, in a sense, we need both. Because if we're practicing something, then it should lead to, like, displaying that. But if we're displaying that, we also need to practice that. And that's essentially what we want to look at this morning, that we need both public passion and private devotion. And, and before we get, like, you know, because I don't like the word passion. Like, I, I do, but, like, I have a family tree of very passionate people, all right? And I'm often not, I feel like I'm not like that. I'm not sort of very passionate. Unless you see me at a Melbourne City game, then I'm extremely passionate. But for me, passion, what we want to look at this morning is passion is simply bringing people to Jesus. That will look different for everyone, but if we're passionate about Jesus, we'll bring people to Jesus. All right? So that's public passion. That's how we're going to look at it this morning. And private devotion is what is that God sees what no one else sees. And we're going to look at that as well. So we're actually going to look at John chapter 1. Um, Scott read it out, so we won't go through it. But we're sort of, if you've got your Bibles, keep them open to John chapter 1. And yeah, maybe leave that up and you can leave it up and we'll go through it a little bit. So John chapter 1, 43 to 51. So Jesus at the start of his public ministry, he's sort of calling his disciples. And um, what I love is this little movement of Philip. We're going to focus on Philip, and then we're going to focus on Nathaniel, and we're going to look at Jesus, all right? Three points, nice and structured, easy done, all right? So Philip, what happens with him? Jesus finds him and says, follow me. And straight away, what does Philip do? He goes back to his town, and he finds Nathaniel. And I love that movement. And I think that's like the first question I want to ask is, for those who have been found by Christ, who are you now finding? Philip gets found by Jesus, and straight away he goes and finds his mate Nathaniel. Follow me, and what does he do? The first action he does is goes and finds Nathaniel. And I guess, you know, my question is, who, who are you finding? If you've been found by Christ, who are you now going to go find? Who are you now going to find and say, hey, I've got something You've got someone you've got to come and see. You know, and what I find fascinating is that new Christians sort of do this naturally, yeah? It's sort of, you see a new Christian, and they all of a sudden become the best evangelist you've ever seen. And I just wonder, like, where does that get lost, like, in my life? Where did that get lost? Where does that sort of taper off somehow? You know, and I was just thinking, like, you see a new Christian, you see someone that experiences something for the first time, there's this joy, there's this excitement, and naturally you share what you enjoy. And so my prayer for myself and my prayer for us is Psalm 51, you know, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto, unto us the joy of your salvation. Because naturally you share what you enjoy. Think of social media, all right? It's either, I mean, there's one side of it, which is just like, venting, frustrating complaints. But most of the stuff on social media is stuff that people enjoy. It's a picture of their food at the cafe that they've just eaten, that they've just enjoyed, and I've got to share that. Do you know, like, what, what is, why do we do that? I don't know. But there's something in it that what we enjoy, we share. You know, I can cook about six meals, six solid meals I've got on rotation if I ever need a cook. Right? When I lived out for a year, I had a six-week rotation. Jamie knows it well. Um, 
<laughs> wow, it's not, whoa, let's not get into that. All right. Um, but six, but I never cooked something that I didn't like. Like if I cook something, it's like what I sort of would enjoy too because I had to eat it. Um, so, you know, naturally when you have people over for dinner, it's like you cook something that you enjoy cooking and that you enjoy sharing. And there's this sort of this natural human thing that you share what you enjoy. And I was just thinking like over Christmas, we've had this theme of joy. You know, it's sort of holidays, it's a happy time of year. I'm just thinking how much more so should we be joyful about Jesus and then naturally that leads to sharing him. And so we're going to look at that more later as we get into the sort of the private side, because I think that's where often God rebuilds that joy and restores that joy to us. But the joy for Philip, the joy for Philip is that he's found the one. Straight away he goes to, he's found by Jesus, he goes and finds Nathaniel, he says, we've found the one. We've found the one whom the law, the prophets testify about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Like, we've found the one. Can you imagine Philip doing that sort of conversation with Nathaniel? Joyless. Like, just completely, just like, pretty chilled about it. Nathaniel, hey man. We um, found this guy, possibly, like, could be Jesus. Like, could be that Messiah guy in the, in the, that's mentioned in the Bible. Like, we're not sure, but... Yeah, what, do, you want, do you want to come check him out? Like, what's Nathaniel's response going to be if that's the way that you... So, do you know? Of course, it's like, no, nah, it's all right, mate. <laughs> you go, I'll um, catch up later. No, it's, we've found the one. We have found the one whom the law and the prophets testify about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Like, we have found the one. That's got to be our heart. That's got to be our joy that we have found the one. Or, like John probably puts it better, he's found us. We've been found by Jesus, and that should be the most joyous thing because, in the context of our lives, he is the answer. He's the solution. He's everything that we need. And I think we need to keep believing in that, keep declaring that, and keep sort of catching up to that truth that he is everything that we need. And this little conversation between Philip and Nathaniel is an interesting one, cause I, and I really like it, because Philip goes to him, says, we've found the one. And Scott sort of talked about, you know, Nathaniel's response, you know, what, what good can come from Nazareth? You know, a perfectly, you know, stereotypical response, like Scott mentioned, but also a perfectly reasonable response. Nowhere in the Old Testament is the word Nazareth mentioned. You can search it on the internet, you can search, go on a Bible search, search Nazareth. There's no Old Testament reference to it. So he's a perfectly reasonable response to go, actually, the Messiah, like, no, he doesn't come from Nazareth. You're a bit confused. Perfectly reasonable response to say nothing good comes from Nazareth. And all of a sudden, there's options for Philip here. He can either go, okay, well, let's actually... Let's get your Bible out and let's sort of look this out. Let's have a bit of a study of where the Messiah comes from and let's try and figure it out. You can get drawn into a debate, get drawn into, well, actually, there's another way of looking at this. But he offers just a simple, simple sentence, an invitation. Come and see. 
Come and see. I'm not going to convince you with words. I'm not going to convince you with any actions. Just an invitation. Just, just come and see. And I think, I think for my life, how often I rely on my own words or my own actions to win people over. When I think sometimes we just need to invite people and say, just come and see. Just come and see, because He is the one. He is the one. If we really believe that, then it's a simple invitation. Just come and see Him. I don't have to try and convince you. I don't have to try and pull in your leg. I'm just going to invite you and just say, come and see. Come check it out. I've got total faith that He's the one and that He'll win you over, not me. Come and see. The word see is um, it's sort of this word behold. It's not like come and spectate, but it's come and behold, come and experience, come and sort of take note and really take in deeply what's happening. It's not come and spectate, but it's come and behold. It's the same word that Jesus uses later when he says, behold an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. It's the same word that it's not just come and spectate, but it's come and like experience, come and feel it, come and be a part of it, come and... I think, what if we could just do that more with the people that we are finding? The people that we're finding, that we would just say, just come and see. Now, what does that look like for us? Because we're not taking people to sort of a Jesus in flesh that's there for a short amount of time doing miracles and and teaching and all that. What does that look like for us? And firstly, I want to say, I think it looks different for everyone. But here's the thing, the power is not in the method, but it's in the message. So how you do it, it's important, but it's not what's powerful. The powerful thing is the message, the gospel. It's what Romans 1, Paul writes about later on. He says, I'm unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. The gospel is the power of God to save. Not the method of how we preach or how we love people. Or how, like, it's actually the gospel, the message of Jesus. And the other side of things... And this is where it gets kind of scary. I, find, I think it gets kind of exciting. That actually when we say come and see, we're inviting people to see us. Like if we follow the teaching of the New Testament, we are now the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, we are God's ambassadors and witnesses on this earth. So when we're, saying to, when we're finding people, we're going to say, come and see, we're actually inviting people. Well, come and I'm going to have a look. Come and see us. Once again, it's scary, but kind of exciting. You know, we're praying before the service, and Nick prayed, and he said, you know, that God's trusted us. Like, I, I love that picture. Like God's actually trusted us as his people to be his representation on earth. Like, that is a crazy thought, that actually we are the people that we are inviting people to come and see as God's community. And he's trusted us with that. Not because we've got it all together. Not because we're really good at what we do. But because we have received grace. And he lives in us and dwells in us. So I want to encourage us to be Christ-like. To keep, keep loving keep serving, and like I said before, I think what happens privately fuels that publicly. That's only possible through God's Spirit. 
You know, and I think as a church, we really need to step up, not as like our church, but the church in general, particularly in the West. You know, there's this, I was, I've been reading this book and he's been talking about like, there's an, a general, in the West, there's this growing, I guess, openness to spirituality. You know, spirituality is now a cool thing. Yeah, like it's quite normal and common and accepted to sort of speak about your spiritual life regardless of, and that's often not linked to a faith that we might identify as a major faith, but spirituality is just a part of, part of the world now. Yet churches are decreasing and Christianity appears more and more irrelevant like in our Western culture. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that because we actually have the answer. People are searching. People, there's this openness to spirituality. People are searching. And, and like that song said, you know, we've got the answer. That only He provides, the good, good Father who loves, who gives all that we need. So my question is this morning, my challenge is, my encouragement is, who are you seeking? Who are you going to go find? Invite them to come and see. And then we need to live a life of forgiveness, spirit-empowered, living for Jesus, that people would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. So how are we going to do that this week is really the big question. It's not just an individual thing, it's a community thing. And we'll talk a bit more about that later. Now, Nathaniel. Nathaniel's this other character in the story. All right, so he's sort of the one few things we know about him. He, he's, he knows the scriptures, all right? So he knows nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Um, even just the way Philip addresses him in terms of, you know, we've found the one, the law, the prophets, like suggests that Nathaniel knows a bit about the scriptures. Um, we know that, you know, Jesus says, you know, behold an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel's response is, how did you know me? Suggesting that actually Jesus will smack on, that this is a good guy, honest man, he's got integrity, you know, that Jesus actually smacked bang on with his assessment of him. So we know that he's a good guy, and we know that he's under the fig tree. And this is what I want to focus on, is the fig tree. The fig tree in those times was a place of meditation and prayer, that often throughout the day, you would find a young man sitting under a fig tree by himself in prayer and meditation. That was just a normal thing. And, and we don't know what Nathaniel would have been praying there. We don't know what would have been the cries of his heart. But we do know this. Jesus saw him. And the fact that Jesus saw him there transformed his life. And I think, you know, for us this morning, you know, I just really want to encourage you that God sees you under the fig tree. That when no one else sees you, when no one else hears the cries of your heart and the things that are going on in your life and, you know, the things, the times when it's really hard, when you feel like you're all alone, actually God sees you there. And it transformed Nathaniel's life. And I think when we, when we get a hold of that, that actually God is with us and God sees us and God loves us in those times, I think it will transform our life as well. Now, if you're like me, what happens, you know, as a kid, I was pretty scared of the dark. I needed my night light. 
I need the door sort of kept open a little bit. And I think even my adult life, I'm like, I don't like what goes on in my room by myself. That I'm not always proud of the things that go on in my mind or the things that I say or things that I do. That actually the person I am when no one sees isn't always great. I don't know if any of you are like that, but that's certainly me. That sometimes behind closed doors, when I'm by myself, I'm not who I'm meant to be. So talking about the private life is actually a bit of a scary thing because I'm not proud of it. But for all of us, the fact that God sees us there is hope. Because God, doesn't, because God sees everything and He still loves us. God sees everything and He still saves us. God sees everything and He still trusts us to be His representatives on earth. That God wants to actually meet us under the fig tree. God actually wants us to be there and He sees us and He wants to change us at that place. So what do we do behind closed doors? There's three things in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus talks about. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about giving to the poor, prayer and fasting. And he talks about, he pretty much commands his people, you know, when you, go, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, when you pray, close your door, go to your room and let no one see what's going on. Pray to your Father who's unseen. When you, give, when you fast... Don't go around all disfigured and like, oh, I'm fasting. But, you know, make it look like that you're healthy and well. What Jesus is saying is that, you know, don't perform these things. Don't perform these things. Like, he says, don't be like those who go on the street corners and pray elaborate prayers, but go to your room. And don't be like those who, who give so that others see, but do it that no one can see. You know, don't perform these things, but practice them. Because in the end, they're not for others, they're for God. And if that's really true, if we're really doing this for God, then it doesn't matter who sees it. You know, we live in a day and age where it is increasingly hard to do that. It is increasingly hard. You know, when you donate to a charity, your name comes up on the website. You know, when you, when you, when you go to a cafe and you're reading your Bible with your coffee, you just have to take a photo of it and put it on Instagram. You know, we live in a day and age where it's kind of so hard not. To, and I mean, balancing this out with what we said before—that you know, what we share, we enjoy. What we enjoy, we share. So, works both ways, probably. But we need to be wary of performance. We need to be wary of just doing things to perform things, because that's what Jesus says: don't be like those who do these things that they may be seen by others. Don't do these things that they may be seen by others, for they have received their reward in full. So Jesus said that those who do this to be seen by others, they've received their reward. They get seen by others and that's it. But he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. I think that's what we've got to cling on to, that actually what we do for God when no one sees, that what we, when we're under the fig tree praying on our knees, that God is faithful, God rewards, and God works. And we hang on to that, that God, who sees in secret, will reward you. You know, and I was just thinking, you know, this year, what if, there's a big what if, what if 
we put in just as much effort into our private life as we did our public life. As individuals and as a church. Now, what if, like, I'm thinking like a couple, it was like, what, four weeks ago we, we put on the carols. You know, and I, I know how much effort it takes to put on that event. Effort of people, you know, get there early, set up all day, serve food, cook food, all that, you know, money, resources, time, energy goes into it. What if we put just as much effort for a few months into our private life as we did the Carol's event? Like, what if? No one will see it. No one will know. But God will. You know, and apply that to any, any aspect of your life. You know, what if we put just as much effort here as we did out here? Are we game enough to actually do it? To actually get under the fig tree? And look, it's hard. It's not easy. You know, I, I find it very hard to get out of bed when my alarm goes off and read my Bible and pray. And I've actually had to find ways to actually help me do that. So, you know, my mate Tim, every, we have an app on our phone, and every, we've got like five or six categories that we have, you know, prayer, Bible, and a few other things um, that we, find, we like recognize as daily disciplines for our life that we need. And each day at 10 o'clock, it comes up with a, a reminder, and you put in yes, no, yes, no, like you get like, it's all color-coded and you get graphs and everything. It's really cool. And then at the end of every week, we take a screenshot and we send it to each other. And we say, hey, what happened here? Or hey, well done here. And like we actually need... See, here's the, the paradox of it. It's that we actually need community to do the private life. That actually the private life ain't so private. Or it shouldn't be. That actually what happens in the dark, we need to bring to the light. And we need the people around us to help us get under the fig tree. We need the people around us to help us get our private life right. And that's hard because that takes vulnerability, that takes trust, but that is what the community of God, that is what the family of God should be for, to actually help each other where we need it. But here's where we want to wrap up. Because here's the, is the cool part for me. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What that verse is saying is that in beholding God, we are transformed like God. That actually when we see God, we are made like Him. And so, essentially, that's the prayer then. That's, that's, that's the hope. That actually when we seek Him in our private life, we are made like Him. But then the other side is also true, that when we display Him in our public life, people then behold Him and see Him and are made like Him also. That actually... In both ways, that if we seek God, if we display God, that people can behold Him and be made like Him. And this is where Jesus becomes the central part of everything. You know, at the end of the passage we're reading, Jesus, He talks about how 
you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this is an allusion to an Old Testament story. Genesis 28, when Jacob has a dream. Jacob has a dream about a ladder. And he sees heaven opened and he sees angels ascending on this ladder. And he goes, he wakes up from this dream. He goes, wow, like, how awesome is this place? God is in this place. And he he says, it's the gate of heaven and the house of God. That's what he names the place. He names it Bethel, the house of God. And what Jesus is now saying is that he is this place, that the, that the ladder is the Son of Man. It's Jesus. So that actually Jesus is now the meeting place of heaven and earth. He's the gate of heaven. He's where we encounter. So it's not bound to a place. It's not bound to a church or to a ministry or to a certain group of people or anything. Like, it is not an exclusive thing anymore. That Jesus is now the meeting place of heaven and earth. Jesus is now the gate of heaven. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Like Jesus is the person. And here's the thing, the person now lives in us. So what then does that make us? Well, that's what Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are the temple. The temple wasn't just a nice building where people went to sing songs. The temple was where the Holy of Holies was. That was the meeting place. That was like heaven and earth colliding in a place. And Paul writes, we are now that temple. God's Spirit dwells in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we too become this connection point of heaven and earth. Not because of how good we are, not because of you know, our gifts or anything like that, but because of Christ in us. So I want to encourage us this morning to go and find people. Christ has found us, so let's go and find some others. They need to hear, they need to know that, that there is an answer, that there is hope and there is joy, and his name is Jesus. Publicly, may we display him in our ministries, in our families, in our homes, in our lives. May we display Jesus so that people will know him and see him. And then privately, may we seek Jesus. May we, you know, and the promise is that those who seek find. Not, not some of the people that seek will find, not that you seek and you might find or you seek and yeah, a few of you find, like the Bible says, seek and you will find. So seek Him this year. May we find ways that we would seek Him. And as we seek Him and we find Him, may we be made like Him. So that we can then display Him. And as we display Him, we may then seek Him. And the cycle will just go on. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite our youth band up, and we're going to finish by singing a song. And I think often when we, when we sing a song, it's sort of like, this is a nice way to finish, yeah? Like, this is just, it just ties up the service nicely, and then we can say our goodbyes and go. It's like a good way to finish. Otherwise, if we just finish on the message, that's too heavy. We can't do that. But actually, I want us to use this song as a prayer.
There's none but Jesus. And the chorus says, there is no one else for me. None but Jesus. Crucified to set me free, now I live to bring him praise. All my delight is in you. All of my hope, all of my strength, all of my delight is in you forevermore. I want to suggest that that is not just an idea, but that is the truth. That there is no one else for us. God is the answer. Jesus is the answer. There is no one else for me. He is all of our delight, all of our strength, and all of our hope. It's not just a nice idea, a good concept, or a suggestion, but it's the truth. And so as we sing that, may we sort of declare that as a prayer and as a declaration so that our hearts would actually catch up to that. I think oftentimes we need to sort of believe it and sing it and say it and we catch up. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to sing this song. I pray that it will be your prayer, your declaration, that there is no one else for us. Why don't you stand and sing?